This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Pat Buchanan retired. What does this mean for American conservatism? I'll talk about that on episode 775 of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Leave that five-star review where you can. Leave a text review where you can. Also, comment on YouTube for the algorithm. If you want to support the show financially, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on the support tab there. Throw a few pennies my way. Or if you're watching on YouTube... Click on the little heart button under the video, the super thanks button. That's a great way to throw a few pennies my way, keep the podcast free of charge. You can also go to anchor.fm. You can subscribe there. Or you can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, another great website where I teach with Tom and another a number of other fantastic instructors. So it's a great educational resource along with McClanahan Academy that you can get me teaching classes. So Wrapping up the week, we had three episodes on this Randy Barnett piece. And uh, I wanted to finish with a discussion, another listener-generated episode, on the retirement of Pat Buchanan. Um, If you've taken my uh, class on uh, Southern intellectual history at McClanahan Academy, Southern uh, cultural intellectual history, I actually had a lecture on Pat Buchanan in that particular class. because Buchanan is, in many ways, a quintessential Southern conservative gentleman. And his impact on American conservatism is profound. I mean, it's, it's one of the mo- he's one of the most important figures of the 20th century. Never was in elected office. He was someone who was always behind the scenes. He did, of course, run for president uh, in 1992 and 1996. Uh, and also uh, 2000. He ran for president essentially three times. 92 uh, as a Republican on the Republican uh, ticket. Uh, didn't, didn't make it out of the primary rounds, even though he had a pretty substantial lead at one point. And then, of course, uh, made the very famous speech in the 92 Republican convention, the culture war speech, which is the speech that I cover in that particular class. And of course, 96 and 2000, he runs for president on the Reform Party ticket. Uh, I actually met him in 2000 in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, met him and his wife. Uh, we, they were at a uh, barbecue joint there, and they were, he was doing a little talk and stayed around for a little while and uh, actually had the chance to talk to him for a few minutes and his wife, too. I was a, uh, he was a very nice man at that point. His wife was very nice as well. and uh, They're both just, again, quintessentially good Southern people. And Pat has always been very proud of his uh, Confederate ancestors, um, he loves the South, and he loves the United States. I mean, there, there's nothing you can say about Pat Buchanan, but somebody who really does admire uh, the United States and the history of the United States, and someone who's been waging a war against PC wokeism because it was there even before we had a name for it, from the 1960s forward. I mean, he's he's had a very long career, uh, 50 years uh, in public life, 
and finally decided that it was time to hang up his pen, his weekly column. Now, maybe he doesn't write again. I, I would find it hard to believe that he wouldn't put something out here and there, but he's not going to do his syndicated column anymore. And these syndicated columns, if you've never read Pat Buchanan, are a lot of fun to read for a number of reasons. Um, and I, I want to uh, read a piece by Tom Piatok, um, and it was published at Uns uh, Review or Uns.com, I should say. But Pytok writes for um, a number of publications, Chronicles Magazine most importantly. He writes there quite a bit. And if you don't get Chronicles, you should. It's a great magazine. Uh, if you want to read Paleoconservatism, the best of Paleoconservatism that's out there right now, it certainly is Chronicles Magazine. But um, he writes for other publications as well, Taki, uh, Taki Mag and others. But um, he knew uh, Pat Buchanan and writes this piece from a very personal standpoint. But Pat meant a lot to uh, American conservatism because of the way that he wrote. And as Pytok's going to mention in this, in this piece, there was always this uneasy alliance with, uh, with William Buckley and someone like Pat Buchanan. Buckley was dense. Buckley was the pseudo-foe in many ways, academic. Of course, he was a very smart man, but he always had to try to portray that in a way that would be off-putting. People didn't like that a whole lot. He was kind of like the Adelaide Stevenson, the egghead, the guy that always wanted to make you feel that he was smarter than you, and he wanted to show it. Whereas Pat Buchanan was not a populist. Of course, he would be accused of that, but he wrote, he did write for the masses. He wrote for the people because he knew how to reach people with the written word. And then also because of all of his time on radio and television, most importantly, Firing Line, where he was really good. He knew how to reach people in a way that would captivate you and capture you because he wrote simple sentences. Now, that's not a slap at Pat Buchanan. That's actually an art form. If you go and look at Pat Buchanan's columns, they are not hard to read. They're not, they're, they're full of information. I mean, he's always got some nugget to put out there. And of course, his books are the same way. Uh, if you've not read any of Pat's books, you should. But he, he writes in a way that will grab the reader and, of course, explain things in a way that people can understand them. Conservatives have always had this problem of appearing to be too haughty. Nowadays, I think it's more the left that does this. You know, you've got the the academic left that likes to show that they are smarter than everyone else. And there's a new book out that I'm probably going to review that's hilarious to me uh, on this on this uh, particular point that these people believe they're still you know fighting the 1960s. They're all LARPers. That's all they are. They're all fighting the 1960s against some you know uh, massive conspiracy from the right to uh, to hide history and do all kinds of things. I mean, it's just a joke. Uh, these people control just about everything, and they look down on anyone who doesn't think like them. They really are obnoxious, snarky jerks. It, just go out and look at social media and how these people are. Um, and so that's, I mean, that, of course, that's what you know, things like Twitter invites. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll be snarky on there as well, but um, they, and I, usually only at them though, um, they are just completely miserable people, I think. And Pat Buchanan never, port never, never came off like that. He was, he always seemed to be, uh, joking, laughing. 
he he was in so many ways the archetype of what we need in the public eye for American conservatives. Um, and again, he's from it's 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 I think in many ways his Virginia upbringing, Southern upbringing. He loved he loved Virginia, loved the South, and he came from that kind of background. Uh, someone that you could say was is kind of fits this is uh, is Senator Kennedy. Um, who does the same thing. I mean, this is the old kind of Southern disarmament. You know, uh, Sam Irvin was like this. This is the way that people need to, to per, pursue the, the attitude and the public eye in the public eye because it is disarming. Um, and it's funny and making jokes at these people at the expense of these people. It's why Rush Limbaugh, by the way, was so popular because he was disarming he explained things very easily, and he told a lot of funny jokes. And he picked on the left in a way that people could laugh at. It wasn't angry all the time. People used to think, you know, Limbaugh was angry. You listen to his show, he wasn't angry. He didn't come off as angry. He just came off as, you know, being funny. And it was great. Uh, Tucker Carlson does a pretty good job of this, too. So this is the kind of thing that really works well. And Pat Buchanan did it. Extremely well, beginning in the 1970s and moving forward. He was always very good at it. For all the people that talk about how important Buckley was, Buckley was one of the most overrated people in American conservatism. If you ever want to see something you know, that really shows you how bad Buckley actually was, again, go out and watch George Wallace versus William Buckley when Wallace went on Buckley's program and completely befuddled him. He didn't, Buckley didn't know how to deal with Wallace. Wallace didn't appear angry. He just told things as they were. Now, he didn't joke. He was a much more serious man than someone like Sam Irvin or even Pat Buchanan. Uh, Buchanan was serious too, but he could he, he worked with these people. I mean, he, he could tell jokes and he could be part of them too. Or Senator Kennedy. He was much more serious than these people, but Buckley didn't know how to deal with him. And it was, it was hilarious. It shows you how shallow Buckley actually was. He was. Buckley was too much of an ideologue. Pat was a realist. And so let's read this, uh, this piece by uh, Tom Pytock. And um, it's entitled, Patrick J. Buchanan, Christian Gentleman, Hangs Up His Pen. And this came out uh, January uh, 24th, uh, 2023. He says, last Friday, January 20th, brought the sad news that Patrick Joseph Francis Buchanan, and quintically, you know, I'm sorry, universally known as Pat, had decided to end his column. From any standpoint, Buchanan must be judged one of the most important newspaper columnists in American history. And again, I think that's true, but also one of the most important conservative intellectuals in American history. I think this is you know selling him a little bit short. He was an important conservative intellectual. He says, as I put it on Twitter as soon as I heard the news, just saw the notice that of Pat Buchanan retiring from his column. Pat's column was always a model of clarity civility, courage, and conviction. Now, notice the adjectives that he used there. Clarity, absolutely. Clarity in a way that most people can't do. And you know, there are others that could, that could do this. You know, Thomas Sowell is one. But Pat Buchanan wrote in a way that everybody could understand. Civility, he never appeared angry. Um, that's something that's very hard to master. Buchanan would be attacked. Buchanan would be, I mean, he could be raked over the coals and Pat Buchanan never seemed to let it bother him. Whereas everybody else, including, you know, at times yours truly, 
doesn't have that, that strain of civility. Pat Buchanan always had it. Uh, and that is a remarkable trait for him. Courage? Absolutely. Writing at times and standing in front of these leftists who have power and speaking truth to power, Pat Buchanan did it on a regular basis. And even when it seemed unpopular, he would still do it. Um, his Suicide of a Superpower, you know, I mean, it's an amazing book, but of course, Pat's been called all kinds of names because he essentially, and of course, his work on World War II, because he essentially thinks that the United States should have stayed out of World War II. I mean, he's made the case for it. Uh, that they should have, he sh Europe should have dealt with this itself. Um, so, you know, his America First position, well, that's just, a, that's just a dog whistle, a code word. Now, Pat Buchanan is in no way a fascist or a Nazi. He, he doesn't like any of them. But um, he simply was a realist when it came to American foreign policy, and this got him into hot water with the establishment hacks. And, of course, conviction. Absolutely. Pat was a rock-solid conservative, again, at times which, when it, when it seemed like that would be a difficult thing to do. Now, even though, he says, even though I am no, a nobody on Twitter and refuse to pay the fee that Twitter promises will boost my posts, my... Brief tweet has, at this point, garnered almost 48,000 views, 645 likes, 68 retweets, and 26 comments, nearly all of which were favorable. The sheer longevity of Pat's career was notable. He left the cozy confines of the St. Louis Globe Democrat in 1965 to help Richard Nixon begin his big comeback from the political oblivion to which Nixon retreated after his embarrassingly large defeat by Pat Brown in the 1962 California gubernatorial race. Now, maybe you're not a you're up on American history, but remember, Richard Nixon was the vice president of the United States in the Eisenhower administration. He was the man that was supposed to assume the mantle of American conservatism, and he lost to John F. Kennedy, supposedly, in 1960, and then... Uh, Kind of retired, but of course he did run for governor in 62 and lost. Lost for governor of California and then essentially retired for three years. All that stung. I mean, Nixon faced two pretty embarrassing defeats in a two-year period. And that shows you in some ways, look, I'm not a big Richard Nixon fan. Pat Buchanan always was. It's one person he would defend always. Um, but Nixon took that well in a lot of ways, in, in a way that... You know, I don't know if most people would come back from that. Uh, so you can say Nixon's resolve was pretty impressive, uh, that he would come back from that defeat in 60 and then the defeat in 62 and really get back into the groove again and try to get back in the swing of things. Now, you can also say this is a, you know, it's a kind of a character flaw, that the man wanted power that much that he would keep pursuing this. Um, so, you know, maybe he was overly ambitious, but Pat Buchanan always said that Richard Nixon was... Uh, gentleman, and that Richard Nixon always had the right views, but uh, perhaps he got too much, uh, too caught up into uh, the politics of Washington. So Pat's future wife, Shelley, goes back even further with Nixon, having served as his secretary in 1959. She was with Nixon and Pat on a small plane during the 1960 presidential campaign to enable Nixon to fulfill his foolish and never repeated promise to campaign in each of the 50 states. The destination, remote, reliably Republican Alaska, which has given its his tiny number of electoral votes to the Democrats only once in 1964. Between Pat and Shelley, there is nothing worth knowing about American politics that at least one of them does not know inside and out. And again, this is a it's kind of like uh, 
you know, Ron Paul and his wife, they've been together a long time. And, I mean, they, they've fought through all this together. There's something also comforting and, and stability in that. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Uh, Pat served with distinction in the Nixon White House for the entire time Nixon was president and was part of the most one of the most famous speechwriting teams in White House history, which also included future New York Times columnist William Sapphire and veteran political writer Ray Price. Sapphire was 10 years older than Buchanan and Price was eight years younger. Eight years older, I'm sorry. But the older men soon learned to respect their younger, more conservative colleague and each crafted lines that still resonate. So a great speechwriting team in the 1960s. Um, you know, Bill Sapphire had, you know, was very, very famous, and of course, also Ray Price, but both older than Buchanan, but still respected the younger Pat Buchanan, because you had to. I mean, Pat Buchanan and his writing and the way that he portrayed things demanded respect. You had to respect him. He, he made you, he, he earned it, and he made you respect him, which is the, through his work, not because he just demanded it, but through his work, you had to respect him. But the most important speech for the future of American politics, Vice President Agnew's attack on the leftist bias of the news media was substantially Buchanan's idea and Buchanan's work. Now, Agnew was just in the news recently on Tucker Carlson. He's talking about uh, the, the Kennedy assassination and what might have been going on behind the scenes now that the CIA has essentially admitted that they were involved in the Kennedy assassination. Uh, and Nixon, this is where, you know, Tucker Carlson kind of connects the dots here with Nixon when he was recording, when he had the director of the CIA in his office and said, I know who killed Jack. And silence. And Nixon was gone uh, not long after that. So was Spiro Agnew. And they put in place Gerald Ford, who was, of course, on the Warren Commission and would keep everything quiet. I mean, this now, it's very conspiratorial, I know. But you don't ever put anything past the power brokers in D.C. to do something about, like this. I mean, the the the, uh, the power that these the deep state has is tremendous. So, uh, again, I, it's very easy to believe something like this would happen. At the end of the Nixon presidency, Buchanan faced the Watergate Committee with no lawyer and only his brother Hank, an accountant, at his side. Buchanan's sharp mind and sharp wit frustrated the committee's Demo uh, Democrats, who never laid a glove on him. No one who watched Buchanan's performance that day doubted that he had a bright future. Not everyone got the news, though. A short time later, Pat was doing yard work in the couple's small house in the District of Columbia, wearing a set of green coveralls Shelley had purchased for him from the Sears catalog. An alarmed Senator James Buckley, walking through the neighborhood and thinking that Pat was doing community service, or worse, exclaimed, Pat, don't tell me they got to you too. Very funny, right? It looks like he's a convict out there. Buchanan's syndicated column started in 1975, a job combined with radio and later television. I remember reading Buchanan regularly in the Cleveland Press in the 1970s and generally liked what I read. But William F. Buckley was still my favorite conservative writer in those days, and as a result, my writing was filled with too many obscure words, too many unnecessary foreign phrases, and too many convoluted sentences. Again, uh, Piatok points out here the, the important point of this. Buckley was hard to read. Buckley was never going to be the man that America can embrace for American conservatism because he was too aloof. Buchanan was always the way. Americans do have a fascination with the simple. Perhaps this is part of you know this democratizing element of America, but or perhaps it's a result that we never really had an artificial aristocracy. We do admire the intelligent people in America. In American history, Hamilton, Jefferson, they're both very intelligent. 
uh, and we, of course we could go down the line. But in terms of the people that we like the most, they've always been the much more simple, plain-spoken people. George Washington was very simple and plain-spoken. Abraham Lincoln, for all that I hate about Lincoln, had that element to him as well. So Americans have liked that kind of communication. And Pat Buchanan did it very well. Uh, you go and you look at Kamala Harris's speeches, which are written for kindergartners. I mean, but this is what she's trying to do, even though it's too far. I mean, you can go too, too far with this stuff. You know, they have these power stations with lines coming in. And on those lines, they have electricity. Ooh. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you get with Kamala Harris. It's so ridiculously stupid. It's way too dumbed down. Uh, but anyways, that shows you how smart Kamala Harris actually is. I, I think she's actually speaking at her level when she does that. So Pytock says, a teenager with an interest in politics from an early age, I remember siding with Pat and Reagan and against Buckley on the firing line debate on the Panama Canal Treaty. For basically the same reason I think the Elgin Marbles should remain in the British Museum. The Panamanians could never have built the canal. The Greeks could not have preserved the marbles. If you don't know that these came off, you know, the Elgin Marbles are these very famous uh, marbles from the, uh, the Parthenon in, uh, in Greece that were taken to the British Museum to, for protection because everything was being plundered in Greece and now the Greeks want them back. And um, they shouldn't get them. I mean, same thing with some of the other artifacts you see in the British Museum. All, other, all these other places want their stuff back. And thankfully, the British have kind of said no at this point because when you look at the instability of some of these places, where do you want these things preserved? And it would be best preserved in a place like the British Museum, which is very, very stable, other than a place where this stuff could change tomorrow. <clears throat> During the 1980 campaign... Pat's column was a beacon of support for Reagan, and one, one I depended on to find, fend off arguments for my liberal classmates, there were a few, and teachers. There were more, a few more at my generally conservative Jesuit high school in Cleveland. But Pat went the extra mile for Reagan. He and George Will helped Reagan prepare for the all-important debate with Carter in Cleveland. Once the American people got to see Reagan and Carter go head-to-head, -head, the exaggerated Negative image the media had painted of Reagan melted away, and Reagan won a landslide of the type Republicans can now only dream of, since mass immigration from the third world has completely transformed the American political landscape. Now, I've said on this show and other places that I think Carter got a pretty bad rap as a person. I mean, I like Jimmy Carter as a person. He's a great Southern gentleman. What you had, you know, in Reagan, uh, I'm sorry, in Carter and Pat Buchanan were two very similar people. Uh, just on different sides of the political spectrum. I, I don't like Jimmy Carter's policies and a lot of things, but he was the last farmer, I think, who will ever be president of the United States. I don't think we're, we're, not, we're never going to see that again. And um, when you look at someone who was distinctively Southern, it was Jimmy Carter. Um, now, you could say, you know, Bill Clinton was the same thing, and, um, but not in the way Carter was. Clinton was a used car salesman. Carter was a real Jeffersonian farmer. And so I think the way that Reagan spoke to Carter was disrespectful at times. Um, but regardless, um, you know, Reagan did have this, uh, this warm personality that people would gravitate to. I mean, he was an, an impressive political figure as well, uh, even though, as I said, I've said again, I think Reagan did uh, much harm to American conservatism at his, in his time in the White House. Uh, Reagan never came to see the immigration, this immigration as a threat to the American uh, unity. Pat did just as it came to see the great damage free trade was doing to American manufacturing. 
As the examples of immigration and trade show, Pat was never an ideologue. When the facts contradicted his preconceptions, Pat went with the facts. And again, this is, this is an important thing. Pat wasn't an ideologue. Buckley was. I said this before. Buckley was an ideologue. He, he lived in the world of, well, this is how things have to be. It's just like when he was debating Wallace and he said, well, you're not a conservative. You support old age pensions and public schooling in Alabama. That's not a conservative position. And Wallace's response to that is, well, why would I want old people to die in my state? Uh, I mean, this, he, he had a much more realistic view of, of on-the-ground politics in his own state. And, of course, Wallace being a governor mattered. You could say that perhaps, you know, you can make the argument, I think a very convincing argument, that all these things are illegal at the federal level, but not at the state level. And so the states have always had this kind of leeway. And, of course, George Wallace, being a very good state politician, understood that and wanted to ensure the people of Alabama had the support they needed uh, in that state. So Buckley could never get that because he was an ideologue. And I think you could say the same thing about Pat Buchanan. He was not an ideologue. And so this wasn't based on ideology or a nation of immigrants or um, you know, free trade has always been the way... If, you're seeing the the opposite of what this is doing. Well, then he would he would fit his uh, his narrative to that to the to the facts as Piatok says. Now um, we could debate free trade or fair trade or whatever we want to say. In fact, Pat Buchanan was never a protectionist. He was a fair trader, and I think that's an important distinction to make. But I I, I am more critical of Buchanan for being a Hamiltonian than anything else. But regardless. Past freedom from ideology set him apart in the Beltway. So did his genuine patriotism. When the role Will and Pat had played in briefing Reagan before his debate uh, with Carter came to light, Will abjectly apologized for failing to hide his support for the candidate he favored. Pat did not apologize. He felt the, that Soviet communism was a mortal threat to America, and he felt it was his duty as an American to do all he could to make sure anti, the anti-communist Reagan won. This is George Will. George Will... Um, he's still to this day. George Will just wants to be liked by the establishment. Pat Buchanan didn't care. He didn't care. And he still doesn't care. And that's what makes Pat Buchanan great. He didn't really care about his legacy. He cared about the truth. And I think that's the thing that set Pat Buchanan apart from everyone else. George Will, all these other writers, they care about their legacy. Historians do the exact same thing. Presidents, politicians. Pat Buchanan just wanted... Uh, to speak the truth. And that was important to Pat Buchanan. He says, Pat's strong sense of right and wrong evident during Watergate enabled him, enabled him to emerge unscathed from another investigation, this time into which who had stolen a copy of the Carter's team's debate briefing book and given it to the Reagan team. As in Watergate, Pat answered the FBI's questions on his own without a lawyer. Afterward, one of the FBI agents told him, Thank you, Mr. Buchanan. That matches the information we already have. <laughs> During the Cold War, Pat was the model of Cold Warrior. He always reminded readers that at the heart of Soviet communism lay a record of mass murder, unproved, uh, unprovoked I'm sorry, aggression, systemic lying, hostility to Christianity, and economic and political repression. He was right about all that. I mean, this is, this is Soviet communism. This is where it's hilarious to me today and dangerous that you have all these little lefties running around holding up Soviet flags. It's because there's no, there's not enough Pat Buchanan out there saying these things. The Soviets were homicidal maniacs. I mean, that's what they were. 
and and there's nothing that the evidence has ever shown to the contrary. Now, um, I find it fascinating. Their culture was in some ways conservative, um, and um, you know when you look at, for example, how they looked at family relations and other things, very conservative in some ways. Uh, and even in Eastern Europe, you found that. But in terms of the ideology, because it was an ideology and it had to fit, it was a bulldozer. And if you didn't fit, they're going to run you over. Or a tank, more accurately. Pat's columns on communism were perfectly consistent with the first political lesson I remember receiving from my grandpa Piatak on a trip to the Air Force Museum in Dayton when he pointed out a painting of an F-102 station in Alaska. My grandpa informed me we needed a strong military presence in Alaska because that was next to Russia. The minute you turn your back on the Russians, they will plunge a knife into it. But as with trade and immigration, Buchanan showed an intellectual flexibility rare in Washington. After the Cold War, Buchanan argued that our policy should be America first, second, and third. Just as Gene Kilpatrick argued that America could now become a normal country in a normal time. Instead, we have pursued one war after another unrelated to America's interests. Again, America first, second, and third. It's great. As the 90s progressed, Buchanan's departure from conservative orthodoxy on mass immigration, free trade, and foreign policy became the major focus of his writing. They also fueled his presidential campaigns in 92, 96, and 2000. I had no involvement in the 92 campaign, apart from writing a few checks and watching Buchanan deliver one of the greatest and most prophetic speeches in American history at the GOP convention in Houston. Again, it's a speech I cover at McClanahan Academy in Southern Intellectual and Cultural History in Part 4 of that class. It is really good, and it is a quintessentially Southern speech. you got to get the class. Of course, you don't have to have the class, but I go over that speech in detail, and I talk about it, but you can also, of course, find it on YouTube and anywhere else, too. He says, It is now abundantly clear that Buchanan was right on all those issues. Mass immigration has moved the country dramatically to, dramatically to the left and torn apart the cohesive America that I was born into in 1964. Free trade has gutted America's manufacturing sector, created hundreds of economic ghost towns, and impoverished much of the American middle class. Of course, one of the things that has done all that as well is massive spending and, and inflation. I mean, that's gutted the American middle class more than anyone realizes. When you go from $7 trillion in circulation just 20 years ago to over $30 trillion in circulation now, we've got real problems. Um, and that's where everything is going up. And of course, zero interest rates are fueling all that. Now, we've, we've hiked interest rates, but... Um, that really is an issue. Uh, so our economic legacy in the United States is an outright disaster. By ceding manufacturing to China, who we also created another communist superpower. Unless foreign wars in the Middle East, uh, I'm sorry, useless foreign wars in the Middle East have cost thousands of Americans lives and tens of thousands of foreign lives, drained America's treasury, and generally left that unhappy part of the world even less happy. By killing Saddam, we made Iran a regional superpower and empowered radical Islamists who have driven most Christians out of Iraq, where they had lived since the time of Christ. We killed Gaddafi, who had protected Europe from mass migration from North Africa and the Levant. We helped unleash civil war in Syria, which threatened other ancient Christian communities and created millions of refugees. We left Afghanistan to the same people who had been running it before we invaded in 2001. And again, a nice summary of the disaster of American foreign policy since the 1990s. This is what we have, the legacy of Poor foreign policy decisions, which of course create poor domestic policy decisions. It's awful. By failing to engage on the culture war issue, issues Buchanan highlighted in his great speech in Houston in 92, the woke left was able to take power as easily as the Taliban 
after our retreat from Afghanistan, with even more devastating consequences. As a result of the rise of wokeness, tens of millions of Americans are thoroughly alienated, believing either that they are undeserving beneficiaries of white privilege or as yet undercompensated victims of white privilege, as part of a country whose past mostly deserves to either be forgotten or condemned. Buchanan's lonely, courageous stands on issue after issue made him a target of verbal abuse from a series of malicious mediocrities, beginning with David Frum um, and others, right? Yet, as anyone meets Pat soon comes to realize, the man is a model Christian gentleman. I know because my wife and I now count Pat and Shelley Buchanan as our dear friends. Pat is unfailingly kind and courteous in his dealings with others. He is an engaging storyteller, but not an egotistical one. The point of a Buchanan story is to share a humorous or interesting tale of friends, not to puff Pat Buchanan. This is what I said about Pat and his personality and what that was. This is very hard to do. You never feel like Pat Buchanan is, is all about Pat. Even in his columns, all of that. It's about what's in the best interests of America. And he makes that very clear all the time. It's why Pat really is um, one of a kind in a lot of ways. Or, and, and it has that Southern trait to it. He does not hold grudges. He believes and practices forgiveness. He told me that one Sunday morning he missed the Latin Mass of St. Mary's and needed to go to the Sunday evening Mass at his childhood parish of Blessed Sacrament. He got to Mass a bit late and found himself sitting in the pew right behind a former colleague who had viciously attacked Pat during the 1996 campaign. He told me he was dreading the part of the Mass when he would be expected to wish peace to those around him by shaking their hands. He briefly considered changing pews or even quietly leaving the church. But he stayed where he was. When the time came, he shook the hand of the man who had slandered him and wished him peace. After Mass, the former colleague apologized to Pat for what he had done, and the men spent a half an hour binding up old wounds. Pat was overjoyed with the, by the reconciliation. There aren't many like him in Washington or anywhere else. America was fortunate to have Pat's wise counsel for so many years, even though we foolishly ignored it. I am fortunate to have Pat Buchanan as a friend. I think friendship has made me a better person, or that friendship has, and then I would have been otherwise. I know it has made me a better writer. Thank you, Pat, for everything. And again, if you really do uh, want to become a conservative writer, or any kind of political writer, read Pat Buchanan. And you could also say Thomas Sowell, but read Pat Buchanan. Um, he is so good at it that if you're looking for someone to emulate, if you're a young writer, go read Pat Buchanan and do it. So again, a great piece. Um, and I wanted to cover this and kind of wrap up on a, on a you know, positive note or something that's just a little lighter than what we had done for the last three days. I've got a lot of great stuff coming next week, too. So many things happening, but I did want to cover that very uh, long article from Barnett on the Constitution uh, earlier this week. So uh, keep sending me those show requests. If you want to get me five times a week, of course, check out the Abbeville Institute podcast over at abbevilleinstitute.org or just look for it wherever you get your podcast. That is all things Southern. I'll see you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.